When I was younger and I was in bands, I thought that you just recorded a record with bass drums and guitar and vocals, added harmonies, added a piano, and then you mixed it. And what I didn't understand is that most of record making, at least on the records that I liked, um, was in the middle. It was this, and before you tracked and after you tracked, but before you mixed is this thing called like pre-production and production. And it is not tracking. It is not arranging even. It's not programming. It's not um, mixing. It's not sound design. Production is not any of those things. It may, you may use all of those things. You may need to be able to do all of those things to be a producer in 2020. You probably do. You also have to probably play an instrument or four um, because the economics of it have made it so that things cannot be divvied out into eight different roles. I mean, is the truth of it. Like, like the roles have been consolidated into this one thing called the producer that does everything, right? Um, but, but I still think it's important to understand what part of that process is production versus engineering. Because if you don't understand what production is, then your records won't get produced and they're not going to sound like records. I know that's a funny thing to say, but this is at least the lesson that I learned. Um, so production to me, what is production to you? Production to me is actually not about doing the technical things. Those can be in your bag of tricks. And honestly, every producer, that's why some producers like do everything from the playing to the programming to the writing. And then guys like Rick Rubin sort of do nothing and yet somehow are the linchpin of all these classic records. And it's like, well, what do they do? And I think there's like two roles that a producer fills that are producer roles and, or maybe three, but that aren't overlapped by another technical job. Like one of them is the more executive producer role, which is like pre Beatles producers essentially were just like a movie producer where they just made sure that it happened. Nobody cared who did it, how it happened. It was like the label would say, your job is to make sure that these kids get the record done on time. I don't care what you do. I don't care what your skill set is. You're like a suit and you have to deliver a product. And with like George Martin and the Beatles, the producer almost became, you know, synonymous with like another member of the band, someone who's like almost like writing and playing and doing all this creative stuff, you know. But if you think about like, you know, a George Martin kind of producer, right? Or a, um, you know, a kind of like, who's another good, a Jack Antonov producer, or like, you know, a guy who sort of got like a reputation for being an artist themselves. And a lot of the sort of producer idols that we have today that we look up to these record makers, right? Um, the thing that they really are doing beyond the technical, like Jack Antonov may be good at the Moog or, you know, um, George, you know, Martin may have been a great string arranger, but that wasn't production the larger thing that I, I believe that they're bringing to the table is an understanding of how to put the music in the right context and an understanding of how to, to br like get the creative out of the artist. So those two things, it's like the personal, intrapersonal, like creative relationship that the producer have with the artist to like help the artist have some more clarity about themselves like it's like almost like you become the artist's self-awareness you can reflect back to the artist like things about themselves that aren't apparent because they're so close to it right so you can help them see more clearly their own creative process and help bring the best out of them 
How's that? That's like the Rick Rubin thing. And then I think the other thing that is, is like almost equally as interesting is helping somebody, and this is the more technical side of it and the more sort of like sociological, like anthropological, ethnomusicological, ethnomusicology, I don't know, ecology side of it um, is the understanding of how to put music in the right context. So that means understanding what genre is. So genre is this thing where we say like indie rock. I like indie rock. Okay, what do you mean? Right? What is indie rock? Oh, it's just these bands. They all have like guitars. And it's like, okay, but not all music with guitars and drums is indie rock, right? Like Led Zeppelin is an indie rock, but it's the same thing as Soccer Mommy in terms of the instruments. So why the fuck is that? And it's like, well, because... I think a producer can almost like deconceptualize the music and then and then sort of understand it from like a more broken down level. Meaning a guitar isn't a guitar. You like a guitar is like a set of frequencies in the upper mid range if it's an electric guitar generally or not like a baritone electric guitar or, or like a super dark one and saying like, well, what is it about these records? What feels like indie rock? Because it's really not what is indie rock. It's what feels like indie rock. And Okay, like, for example, like, I would say, like, indie rock. Okay, so first of all, without electric guitars that have some kind of jangle to them or some kind of fuzz to them, you know, or some, it's hard to make indie rock. Not that you can't do it with an acoustic guitar, but it's, you're missing one of the primary indicators, right? Also, I feel like indie rock, you know, there generally should be some kind of bass and generally not like a synthesized sub, right? Or like an 808. Like, there's certain indicators... You know, and then if you're going to do synths on indie rock, it's like tends to be these kind of like more like analog or kind of like sounds that are associated with retro flavors. Like indie rock was sort of slightly 80s inspired stuff or like Mellotron, like 60s inspired sample stuff. Like there's a lot of referential stuff in indie rock where it's like referring to um, classic sounds or classic records with that kind of like... Um, edgier take guitar driven drum driven like take and oftentimes vocals that are in some ways processed but in a way that is not slick but like uh, vocals that are processed in a way that kind of like contributes to the chaos so a little saturation slapback delay uh tight ambient space with a kind of like a weird cloisteredness to it or um or a sort of a big kind of like overly long rich reverb like in a kind of like julian bakery kind of like lush way but there's a kind of exaggerated uh quality to a lot of indie rock now not that you can't break any and all of these rules and still make it be indie rock but the more the more basic rules you break the more the more sort of rules that are really sort of subterranean and tough to follow the thread of and almost hard to articulate but you can kind of know it when you hear it rules you have to follow and so it's almost like like being a producer is navigating all that stuff. It's being able to understand we're going to make a quote like indie rock record, but we're going to break all these rules. And so some people might not get that's indie rock, but as a producer, I'm going to feel like that maybe that's okay. Or maybe as a producer, you say, you know, we've broken so many indie rock rules. We're either going to have to like think about this from a different vantage and change our kind of references and change the way we're trying to squeeze the energy out of this, or we're going to have to kind of do something to compensate. Like, so it's sort of like thinking about the music both from that really personal, interrelational, like kind of creative side and also from the macro, how does this fit in culture side? Like what conversations is this music having? I mean, maybe that's a good way to think about it. Like you are the person who's responsible. So the artist has a vision. 
and it makes sense to them in their head generally. Or maybe you have a shared vision and you do that creative pre-production work and you, you, you get it. You can speak the language. You know what you're going for. Your job is to make sure that other people get it too. That's really at the end of the day, that's your job, you know, as a producer, I think, to make sure that as the artist, your job is to have the vision. As the producer, your job is to make sure that it can exist in the world in a way that it's potentially accessible to somebody, right? Like, meaning like, it doesn't, it's, your job isn't to make something that is, um, your job isn't to get the artist to sell out, although that's often what happens, right? Like in your effort to make something that is communicable as a producer to help the artist do a piece of art that's going to translate, that that actually communicates what it's trying to, you you basically overemphasize accessibility and you de-emphasize the personal creative aspect of it. But that's not a good producer. A good producer balances those things. I would argue a good producer is George Martin. The things that George Martin did say on Eleanor Rigby by writing that string arrangement both made it more accessible and made it more what it was. Without that string part, Eleanor Rigby is just a kind of a song where you're like, it's a nice song, but it doesn't have that defining sort of like, like piece of it that is the thing that we remember about it and the thing that other records borrow from so many string arrangements reference Eleanor Rigby you know um that I think like that's a that's a good job as a producer whereas like maybe like a Phil Spector uh in the Beatles is like someone who like <laughs> maybe kind of made it maybe more accessible but they re recently or not they re they re-released it without all his stuff on it and you know maybe that would have been cooler or whatever um because it was like emphasizing accessibility and relevance to sort of mass culture over understanding what the record needed to realize a vision of the artists, right? So it's like this this whole, I think there's this kind of thing that happens, and if you're still here at 10 minutes, like kudos, with artists at the beginning of their recording careers where it's like they don't get, they, they don't, they never learn what production is and so the process has rehearsals or pre-production it's got recording engineering tracking there's some arrangement there's some performative element there's some um sonic sound design there's some mixing but it never feels like a record because it feels like it just stands apart it's not in communication with the rest of music so it just feels like um to, to me, that's what amateur means, kind of. Like, it's not... In a pejorative way. I mean, amateur as in the person who's making it isn't a professional doesn't mean anything, because there's, like, a, an incredible records made by people who aren't professionals. But when we say, oh, it just sounds, like, amateurish, it doesn't mean it sounds bad. It means it sounds like it's it's sort of tone-deaf to the conversation, right? It's like, putting a song out is, like, you're walking into a room and everyone is talking, right? Now, you don't have to go in and like, just like small talk the bullshit everyone else is talking. But if you go in and you just kind of say something random really loudly, you kind of look like a jackass. Even if you feel what you're saying, if you're doing it in a way that isn't respecting the fact that there's already a conversation going on, people are just kind of gonna pretend you're not there. And so as a producer, it's sort of like your job is like you're making the introduction. You're saying, cool, we're going to this party. There's a lot of conversations happening. You might like some of them. You might like you want to join some. You might not want to join others. But like we're going to 
facilitate a conversation with somebody at some point. So you're not just talking at a wall, you know, uh, and you're not just yelling into a crowd. Because I think, I think that's what happens with records that aren't that aren't produced. They just sort of walk out into the room awkwardly and present themselves, and everyone looks at them and is like, "I don't get it." There's no conversation happening here. You're not respecting what's going on. You're not understanding what's going on. And it's like, I mean, I put out plenty of music where that was a case where it's like, you're just kind of like, fine, cool, sounds good. But what am, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, it doesn't fit into anything, you know? Um, and I think that, yeah, I, I think that that's kind of the incredibly difficult to put your finger on but incredibly important role of production. And it's it's why it's interesting to me because it, it's that balance between the personal and creative, which I think a lot of artists are very familiar with. And this other kind of like weirdly more impersonal esoteric piece of it, but that's about relationality. It's about like communication. It's about um, culture. It's about sort of a combination of like critique and respect where you're saying it's a commentary either because it's intentionally not doing what everyone else is doing or you're having an interesting conversation by joining the fray, but with your own perspective, you know? Um, yeah.